Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you again today and thank you for tuning in with us. Please stay with us. An amazing Bible study today again. And we are going to talk about um, family matters. And I believe each one of us, we have lots of experience and probably to share. But it will be good today to also listen and open the Bible to see what the Bible is teaching us in this regard. But before we go into the Bible study, I would like to just welcome our panel for today. And I'll start with Matt, because Matt is joining us for the first time. Thank you very much, uh, Matt, for uh, coming along and looking forward for your share. No worries. Thanks for that, Nick. Appreciate it. Helen, thank you for joining us again. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Thank you. And Len, thank you very much also to come with us together. After a short break, I'm glad to be back. And hello, listeners. Very good. And Brenton is our facilitator uh, for today. Brenton, thank you for coming and also preparing this Bible study. I will hand the microphone right to you now. Thank you, Nick. And welcome to our listeners for today. Our study today is entitled Wise Words for Families and I'm sure it's going to be a very interesting topic as we uh, discuss it together and share with our listeners. But Len, I would like you to open with a word of prayer for us. Thank you. Father in heaven, it's wonderful that in the book that you've given us for our lives there are instructions and advice about how to live and in particular as we're studying today as in families. I pray that you'll bless each person who listens to this Bible study today and if there are things here that we discuss that are pertinent to them that they might be willing to follow the advice and instruction that you have given. And so we invite your presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Len. Interestingly enough, a considerable amount of what we know about families and about relationships is found in the book of Proverbs, written by one Solomon. Many of you would know that Solomon uh, was considered to be the wisest man who ever lived. However, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. The Bible says that his 700 wives were all of royal birth. And... He has left for us, uh, I guess, a legacy in the book of um, Proverbs with some wise words. And our study starts today on the subject of, for want of a better word, I'll simply say of being faithful to the marriage relationship uh, at, the, at its deepest level, at a physical level. And also, um, if we're unmarried, uh, being faithful until we do find our life partner. Helen, have you got a comment that you want oh, to make? Oh, just something I read about the book of Proverbs, that it was termed as a treasure chest of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And good, I thought that, that kind of sums it up, doesn't it? It does, it does. Can we have a look at Proverbs 5, verse uh, 3, 4 and 5? Matt, would you be able to read those verses for us, thanks? Verses 3, 4 and 5? Oh, yes, of chapter 5 of Proverbs, please. So, for the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end she is as as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. Why do you think uh, Solomon is making this particular comment? First of all, who is he directing the comment to, do you think? Is he directing the comment to the unmarried, or is he directing the, the comment to the married as well? 
I think he's referring to both. Both, both. Absolutely. Nick, but before before even we move uh, forward with this, uh, because you uh, pointed out that uh, Solomon uh, had um, seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines, we need to really talk a little <laughs> bit. Wonder whether he was a wise man about you? this. You know, that's what I'm uh, I'm trying to say now. Obviously, he spoke a lot from his own experience and mistakes, I will say, mm-hmm. because he learned a lot what that means to deal with a thousand women. Mm. Uh, but what I'm trying to say here, obviously, is uh, refer to everybody, male and female. Mm. Even though in the in the book of Proverbs, we'll see, particularly in this study, that uh, lots of texts will read about uh, the woman and how wise is a woman or how we should choose a woman and so on, but actually refer to both of them. Sure. And particularly, I believe, Solomon was rhetorically talking to himself also while he was writing down those things. I think he was reflecting on his life experience thus far. Len, you had a comment for us. Well, it's very interesting. We need to ask why did Solomon have so many wives and concubines? Mm. And the answer, Len, is? Well, simply this. During the reign of Solomon, the king of Israel, there was no war. And there was no war because of making liaisons between different countries, surrounding countries, through the um, business of marriage. So this is one of the reasons why Solomon had so many wives. He had a wife from Lebanon, he had a wife from Syria, he had a wife from wherever. There must have been a lot of countries round about. But my Bible doesn't say an immoral woman. It comes right to the point and says prostitute. Okay, And I think probably immoral woman is a, a good translation. Or um, No, my Bible doesn't say prostitute. It says an adulteress, which includes prostitute. Sure. And this is very good advice because to satisfy one's sexual desires, people might go to a person like that but in the end, there is no long-lasting satisfaction. Mm. Well, thank you, Len. Um, can I follow on from that? What does the panel think is lacking in, a, in an illicit relationship like that? Say, for instance, a married man goes to a call girl or something like that. What What is lacking in that relationship? Obviously, there's a physical intimacy. That's not in dispute. But what is lacking? What there's, aspect is really lacking in that sort of relationship? There's no commitment. Right. There's no commitment. Okay. I think it's it's quite interesting. Recently, there's um, a news story that came out this week about Wayne Rooney, who's um, yes. quite a, a, a popular and um, successful soccer star in England. And uh, there's a new book coming out about his repeated liaisons with a, a call girl. Um, and the, the, the story is kind of fascinating in the sense that she relates one story about a time that he spent with her, um, and afterwards, he actually, you know, his wife was pregnant at the time. And yes, he she showed. Was. I remember the story. Yeah, yeah. he showed the, the photo yeah. of his pregnant wife to the call girl and broke down in tears. And I, I just think it's interesting that you, you obviously notice that there's something driving him to, to act in that way, to, to have an illicit relationship with a call girl. But does it satisfy him and does it actually do anything positive for him. In fact, what does he actually hearken back to afterwards is this commitment that he has with this other person and it drives him to tears. 
Yes. So what is it that, that drives him to tears in that moment? Well, I think there's another aspect of this too. It's not quite so bad in the case of a single person, but in the case of a married person, there is a wake mm. in all this that the partner is very hurt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so many marriages have broken up mm. because somebody's been lustful, had sex with somebody they shouldn't have. After all, the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery for a good reason. Yes. Where people are committed to each other, society is much more stable. When people go looking outside the marriage bond, then society becomes unstable, mm. a lot of hurt. Now, I've been a school teacher for many years and I've seen the hurt in the children where the marriage is broken up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Nick? I mean, just uh, on the, this um, topic, uh, love the right woman, you know, thinking about Adam and Eve, for example, God saw that it's not good for Adam to be alone and he created the right woman for him and interesting that in the bible maybe is the i'm not sure if there are many other couples in the bible which will have that record nothing wrong talking about them Mm. about their uh, relation even though the sin came into the picture and that was devastating for both of them Mm. but in their relationship we haven't got any records in the bible uh, about uh, any you know serious uh, Mm. matters and i always thinking that if we ask god to give us the right woman as men, you know, and the same with every lady, you know, to ask God to give the right man, then God can work uh, through that family, even though it will come as lots of challenges in family, but Mm -hmm. they can walk together and never look over the fence to say so, to think that another woman or or another man could be the best, could be uh, better than the one they Mm. they have. Mm. And I think this is the the fine line which we are facing today. Mm. It's very interesting. I just want to carry on where Nick has been going. When God made man, he made Adam and Eve. But when God made man, he gave mankind the power of choice. Did God give Adam the choice of a wife? No, he didn't. He made Eve, and she was the only one, so there was no choice. It was either you have Eve or you don't have anybody as a wife. Mm -hmm. However, and this is what I see here, God made the right person for Adam. God's choice is the best choice. And then the solution should be again to God, even right now in this uh, messed up world. There is an aspect that, sorry. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, um, Len, you said that God made the right woman for Adam. God made the right man for Eve. Yes. Yes. You know, it goes goes both ways. And in answer to something you said before, you know, how are you left with it? And I picked this up from Solomon. Perpetual remorse Mm-hmm. You know, it's what people seem to go through, you mm. know. Um, yeah. It might be a one-off situation, but it affects your relationship yes. with your spouse. Mm-hmm. It affects yep. your relationship <laughs> with your family. It, it actually affects your relationship with yeah. God. Mm. But bear in mind, listeners, we have a God who allows a U-turn. 
we have a God who we can go back to and, right. and ask forgiveness. We have forgiveness. a God who will forgive. Yes. Mm. And restore. That's yes. right. And that yeah. remorse as well, it, mm. it doesn't just work, um, it doesn't just have the effect in marriage, you know, if a person is unfaithful mm. within marriage. I've seen and spoken to lots of young people that have been uh, sexually promiscuous before they got mm. married. And then they've married the right person, they've been really happy in their marriage, but it still affects them. It's still them. there, isn't it? It's still there. That remorse of that um, is actually still there. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, sort of going back to what I was saying, the whole Wayne Rooney thing, you know, obviously his his reaction mm. of, of crying and everything else, I think what it, it does come back to for me is commitment's a really important part of marriage, but it's not the most important part of marriage. I didn't marry my wife because I'm committed to her. I married my wife because I love her. Yes. And there's a, a key difference between lust and love. Yes. And we know that. Mm-hmm. And lust can never really satisfy. Whereas, um, you know, sex within the marriage context where there is that love and it, it, it leaves you with satisfaction rather than emptiness. Yes. It leaves you with peace rather than grief. Mm. And and that's really what God has designed for us. Yeah. You know, that's what he wants for us. Yeah. If you ever have the opportunity, and some of us may have, have talked to people who have had, shall we say, multiple affairs, you realise that they're never satisfied. It's almost like uh, that's over and done with, on to the next one. Mm. Uh, they never reach a point where they are satisfied to be totally consumed by the love of this other person who, according to God, it needs to be in a marriage relationship. But there is another aspect we haven't looked at. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 19. Some of us could probably quote this from memory, but it's worth having a look at for our listeners who may wish to look at it in their Bible. Helen, I'd like you to read those verses for us. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 19. Paul, who lived in a, shall we say, a very, a very permissive society, uh, I have had the privilege of actually walking through Corinth, or should I say what's left of Corinth, and uh, but had pointed out to me by the guide, see those buildings over there, they're um, brothels. This is on the main drag in Corinth. So Paul was living in a promiscuous society, a permissive society, and this is what he had to say. Thanks, Helen. Mm. And those texts again were? Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 and 19. Thank you. It starts with a warning. It's not a statement. It starts with a warning. It does. Okay, here we go. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Read the next verse as well. Verse 20 says, For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Isn't that the highest, or should we say the most altruistic motive for remaining chaste and and, um, faithful to our wife or our husband or Mm. whatever is based on the fact that God created us. We are his temple. Mm. His Holy Spirit lives within us. If we continue to abuse that relationship by sleeping around and whatever, we're abusing, in in effect, the temple where God's Spirit dwells. Yeah, I like the phrase in there. It says, you do not belong to yourself. No, you were bought with a price. Yes, because I hear this quite a bit, you know, it's my body. I'll I do can with do it as I what I please, mm. um, but it is not our body. I mean, mm. we we are responsible for what we do, but God has given us this mm. beautiful gift, 
and um, we need to be and and he then paid a high price so not only did he create mankind he redeemed mankind and it was a huge price that he paid mm. and our allegiance should be to God mm. you know Thank and you. he is the one that our will should be in tune with yes. him mm. he only wants the best for mm. us well this is the principle mm. I think Paul yes. is making here Len uh, before we move on just a short <laughs> statement it's quite commonly known or this particular saying is quite commonly known no man or woman is an island in other words what we do affects other people too and um, I think these uh, verses we've been reading from 1st Corinthians 6 and there's more in verse uh, chapter 7 yes there is I point out how important it is to first of all have a loving relationship and then to remain fast to that loving relationship. relationship. When God made Adam, he didn't make Eve and Eva and Evelyn. He made one man with one woman. Mm. Nick. And just before we move on, as you said, Brenton, I just want to point out one thing. For those people who experience multiple, you know, relationships, and um, uh, Matt, you just said a bit earlier that some people share with you, you know, uh, their uh, discomfort even after many years. Mm. Um, I don't want to share too much, but um, in my life before I get to know God, you know, I, I know exactly what that means. And one thing I like to mention, that if you are uh, not committed to a woman, to a wife, or to somebody, to love, uh, you'll never be able to discover the true uh, beauty. Mm. and character of that woman because you just True. run from one relationship to the other relationship and you'll never be able to really dig deep and, and enjoy about that relationship with God created. Mm. You'll just focus on your pleasure, mm. you focus on your uh, momentum and is nothing beyond that point. Yeah. And that's why it's uh, today and particularly in this Bible study we are focusing on how could we share mm. with people from the Bible mm that they may be spared of mm. so much hurt and so much distress and so much mm. trouble. If we go back to the Bible, God knew exactly what we need and mm. how we can restore, if you like. Even mm. in, in this very sinful world, mm. how can we restore relationships <coughs> and, uh, and the family? And I think that's an important point to remember is that God's purpose is restoration. God's purpose is reconciliation. Mm -hmm. um, and the, some of the people that I mentioned that it, it may sound hopeless that, you know, they, they mentioned that these past relationships had affected them. But on the other hand, when they had actually made that commitment to God and they'd uh, made that commitment to that, that person, the place that they found healing for those past hurts was within a committed marriage relationship. Yeah. They were actually able to find healing in that mm. um, and so yeah there is always that hope um, but it's it can't happen anywhere else you know we can't it's like we're constantly running from one thing to another trying to find something that's going to uh, ease, ease would satisfy mm. ease this discomfort that we have but yeah. the only place you can actually find that is within a, a safe loving um, committed relationship Got there, it. there is uh, just in finalizing this uh, discussion before we move on there is a point that um, I have often thought about that I think is very relevant that is this in a committed marriage relationship both parties are free to be themselves hmm. when you're uh, running from one person to another often it's just a mask 
that's uh, that's being used but in a genuinely committed relationship you are free to be yourself with all your good points and all your bad points mm. and the other person can accept you for that and vice versa and I think that's another reason why God created marriage mm. he, he created us to be able to as Matt's put it to reconcile and to 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 be a one, not only a one physically, but a one in, in every other aspect as well. Moving on to, uh, we're talking about a call to fathers. Now, fathers in society today play a role, obviously. For some people, it seems to be a diminishing role. Um, I think as we looked at the book of Proverbs, I'd like someone to read Proverbs 13, verse 22. Lynn. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Okay, Len, would you like to comment on the term inheritance? Do you think Solomon is simply talking about money and possessions? No. Or do you think it's something deeper than that? I would like to perhaps uh, interpret that as legacy. Mm -hmm. A legacy of morality, a legacy of um, how to, to live well and all that kind of thing. Not just talking about money. That's a good comment. Do any of the other panel members have a comment on that? Yeah, I think I think the whole idea of legacy is, is quite important. Um, the older that you get, you start realising that all you actually have left is your legacy. It's your legacy. Um, and, it's, and it's beyond, like you said, just the wealth that you leave behind. Mm. Um, the wealth doesn't really mean a lot. It can be wasted. But mm. if, if you actually leave behind um, actual principles and, and ways to mm. live and mm. ways to do things that's actually going to have further effect than just money. Yes, okay. And I also want to say something that when talks uh, about father here, not necessarily it's only restricted to the marriage. Because in the olden days, you know, a man, let's think of Job, for example. He was the father for the fatherless. He was, you know, um, a role model, if you like. The man of these days, it's called to fulfill that role of being a, a true father, to leave a legacy, as you, you just pointed out, behind him. Yes. And men, mm -hmm. today I'm wondering if we really stay for that call or we are uh, failing in many aspects. Mm. Mm. Thank you, uh, Len. I said once before on air, <coughs> our oldest son, he, um, he was not a rebellious teenager and he was a studious person and I'm quite handy, I can do all sorts of things, mm -hmm. jack of all trades, yeah. some people have called me. And one day when Mark was around about 18 or 19 and he said to me, you know, Dad, when I was a bit younger, I tried to do things differently than you. I was trying to be my own person. But he says, you know, as the older I get, I find myself doing just the same as you did. Mm -hmm. And, I, and this kind of... Jolted you a bit. It resonated with me when I was reading this text. Mm, 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 mm. And he then is passing on that legacy, mm. which probably more or less originated from me or back mm. further even, yeah. to his son. Pillar? 
Um, a couple of things I'd just like to comment on. Number one, for our listeners, sometimes um, you might... We talked about aloneness we the, did. the other day. Last, last week And did. Um, mm. I remember meeting a man on a, a train and he was so distraught because his marriage had broken up and he was go, having to go to court for custody of the children and he just felt it was a completely hopeless case, you know, um, and he felt nobody cared. And, and in studying this week... The one thing that came to, kept coming to my mind is fa- fa- fathers actually matter. Yes, they you do. know, and we need to realise that we matter. You know, in the eyes of God, we absolutely matter. But when the other thing I'd like to mention too is talking about inheritance. My late husband, when he died, sadly left debts. And but when when he we read out because he prepared his own funeral, he was dying for three months, and he read out. Uh, to the the, uh, children he said sadly I have nothing to give you in the way of this world's goods but he said I leave you with an inheritance and and he spoke about God and he spoke about gentleness and meekness and love and that came to my mind now that was 22 years ago this year came to my mind the day of his birthday um, the youngest daughter she she wrote on Facebook dad I miss you I miss the conversations we had I miss the times that you would take time for me Mm. and I thought there is an inheritance yes you know and and I thought if there's nothing else we can pass on material wise there is so much that we have to give whether you be fathers or mothers yeah Yeah. the Inheritance that the fathers give to their children, as as, as we've discussed, is not just physical. No, it's also spiritual, but Animation. it's also moral. Yes, and um, it's it's also a father. I believe the role of a father, as God created men, is to provide stability mm-hmm. in a, a home environment. Len has a good text here that he can share with us in uh, Proverbs fourteen verse twenty six. All you. right, this is just adding a little bit to yes, what we no, previously it's just building said. On it a little bit. Mm. We were saying that the legacy that is passed on to our children and grandchildren is not necessarily financial. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26, is this verse. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children... It will be a refuge. Mm. I think that's a wonderful text, Helen. Yeah, we are talking about good things here, good fathers and what have you. But there are a lot of people, a lot of us, in mm. fact, that perhaps did not grow up with a good father role model. As a role model. I mm. didn't, mm. sadly. Sure. I had a father who was an abuser. He was a tyrant. And I think I mentioned it once before on air that when somebody came and told me God is like your father, I didn't want to know God. Mm. I mm. actually Understand. ignored him for two years <laughs> until yeah. finally I saw him yeah. through Christ. Mm. And and I just want to say, you may not have had a perfect father, and no father is perfect on this earth. I realise that. But we do have a perfect father. And I looked to God then when I realised how much he loved me. He mm. was the perfect father, yeah. you know, yeah. That, yeah. that I so longed for yes. and I so needed. Yes. So if you're going through something and you've got a father who doesn't match up, pray <coughs> for that. Pray for him that his heart will be touched mightily by God, yeah. that he will become mm. the role model for mm. you and a refuge. Mm. Thank yeah. you, Nick. And I just want to add, uh, Helen, that... Um, even though in this society we may come across with um, fathers, men who's 
irresponsible. And uh, sometimes in different cultures, you know, they may think because they are the leaders of the household, you know, they can do whatever they like and everyone should just play around them and, uh, um, you know, do what he wants. And that's why you have so many men who misbehave and do all sorts of things in alcohol, in all other things, uh, you know. But I would like to emphasize that the Bible is calling, as I mentioned earlier, for every man to have that responsibility because he was called to be the, the priest, if you like, of the household. And what a responsibility is there. We cannot just please ourselves. We need to focus on the mm-hmm. duties, responsibility God gave us. And I call to every man that we, we should uh, look into the Bible and learn from the master, as yeah. Helen, you just so, said. I, isn't there a text that says um, men to love, yeah, men yes. to love their wives as Christ so loved the church? Ephesians mm. five twenty-two. Yes, yeah, yeah. and yeah. I think there's a key mm. there. Yeah, there's, there's, I guess there's um, a thing in that. You know, one thing I was going to summarise is that the thing that men are able to leave with their their children more than anything else, what we're able to leave with our children is our example, and what I mean by that is. Um, so, so often we think that what we need to do is teach or discipline, but our example has far more influence than our Neither teaching those two or things. our discipline. Mm. And a few, you know, for example, you know, if you want to teach your your sons how to treat a woman, you, you focus on how you treat your wife yeah. and how you love your wife. Mm. That's how mm. they're going to learn women should be treated. Um, you know, I know with with my children, you know, it's really interesting. A few times. I can remember um, once where, for my morning devotions, I'd sit down and read the Bible every morning, the first thing in the morning, but for for a period of time I was just doing it out in the lounge room. And within a couple of days, all of a sudden, my son came and grabbed his Bible and started reading his Bible out in the lounge room. You know, it it wasn't my teaching, it wasn't my instruction, it It was was my example. example. And and even when it comes to the subject, you know, um, as, as Adventists of Sabbath, you know, my son, um, he plays a f- in a football team here in, uh, in locally in Elizabeth, and the interesting thing is that, that most of their games are on Sundays, but they're sometimes on Fridays. This year, like we've barely had any Friday night games, but this year he's got four Friday night games, which is quite a lot, and it's a you know big hit for him. And um, you know, I just simply mentioned to him last week, oh, well, this coming week it's a Friday night game, and he just looks at me and goes, oh, that's right, I don't, I'm not playing on Friday night. It's not something that I mean, we've never drummed it into them, and yeah, we've never yeah. really made a big, yeah. hard rule about no, it. It's a decision he's made, and and so, so I said to my wife um, this morning, "Is what's important is our consistency. Yes, our consistency. It's not what we say to them. It's mm. not you mm. know. It's not what we teach them. It's yes. our consistency yeah. and how we live. And that's an expression of their love towards God, as they see in the family, sure. because mm. that's the point." Uh, so often we love ourselves mm. and we we put aside you know that uh, beautiful relationship with god and with everybody else because mm. if we have a strong relationship a healthy relationship with god mm. the relationship uh, mm. in a family and a neighborhood whatever it's yeah. you know, in a, in a mm. community mm. is healthy too yeah i would like us to turn to the book of ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 to 4 because verse 4 is a verse that has always intrigued me as a father myself, and I certainly uh, resonate with the fact that I'm far from a perfect father, as my son would probably agree on. But um, 
Paul also had quite a bit to say about it. Um, Matt, could you read verses 1 to 4 for us? Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yes. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is uh, right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, okay. so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do you reckon that's a good verse, Matt? Mm-hmm. Mm, absolutely. What but does it mean not to provoke your children to anger? But <laughs> even before that, I like the way you put it there, that is the first commandment with followed promise. by the promise. With promise. Mm. With a promise, mm. you know. Yeah. Because I came across, and even myself, uh, I grew up at a farm where I hardly knew my father. He he was all the time in the woods, in the mountains, with the sheep, you know, and uh, my mother was my role model, to be honest, mm. but he provided uh, when was needed. But I want to say one thing. Parents need to be respected. Mm. You know, yes. regardless of the situation. Now, there may, there may be parents who do wrong things, even to their children, even to their family. But considering this uh, promise here in the Bible, we should never, ever uh, come against our parents in any way and forms. Mm. We should respect them. Mm. We should l- give it to God and learn, if it's possible, even from their mistakes, but never come against them. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Len. The Bible gives us an ideal, and um, I think we accept that none of us have ever reached that ideal. No. But when the verse says in Ephesians, fathers provoke not your children to anger, we have to ask what causes us to become angry, whether we're children or not. And I would have to say the answer is injustice. When we see something that is unjust or an injustice has been done, we get stirred up about it. And in a family situation, If children see their fathers doing things that are immoral, Mm -hmm. that's injustice towards the children. If the fathers treat the children differently, one will see an injustice against him or if there's favouritism. So I think fathers in particular, and everybody really, we have to make sure that we treat people properly, mm. rightly, and without favouritism. Mm. Yes, mm. That's, that's a good... Helen, you I, had a I just wanted to note, in the New Living Translation, it actually says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Mm. Yes. And I thought that that's, that's it's good. only a few extra little words, but it kind of sums up a lot, doesn't it? Mm. Because yes. you can treat your child in a way that they will be very discouraged. Mm. Um, you know, you can treat your child, yes, they will have mm. respect. I had respect for my parents, but that didn't mean I loved my father. Mm. You know, mm. I, I respected mm. the fact that mm. he was the, the, the head of the you household. You respected him because of his role in the family. Yeah, and I respected him really out of fear yep. more than more than anything. Yeah. But I think whatever we do, whether it be fathers or mothers, needs to be done in love. Yes, mm. agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and I guess I reflect on that. 
and being a, ch- a, a father of um, children that are in that sweet spot zone where they're, they're giving you lots of problems. <laughs> um, <laughs> you might keep kids that are 10 and 7. Um, Matt, you know, Matt, it does improve. Yeah, it does. Sure. I'm sure. No, <laughs> it, it's fine. Um, but I guess it's interesting because, you know, you think about it and you reflect on it. Um, provoke your children not to anger. There's a couple of thoughts that I wanted to share. One is that don't push their buttons. Yes. We often install our children's buttons and we know when to push them, right? You know what it's, what and it's how like to push them. and how to push them. And, and, and I guess when I sort of think about that, uh, I think about sometimes my children's um, behaviours and children can be difficult to control their behaviour at the best of times. They, they challenge you, they push your boundaries and I think about that with my own children. I guess there's two ways in that moment of trying to deal with their behaviour and trying to modify their behaviour or or control their behaviour at that point. One is to do something that you know is going to upset them and in a sense you exert dominance and control over them. Mm -hmm. But I do it by saying something or doing something, and I've done it, I'm not a perfect parent, that I know is going to upset them and I kind of beat them into submission in a sense, but either through emotional ways or, or other ways. The other way of doing it is exactly what this verse says. Bring them up by in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline means it's not the discipline of you disciplining them. It's, a, it's, it's also you being disciplined in mm. the way that you mm. treat your children. Mm. Continuing to remain calm and continuing to remain and hold a steady line. So for me, when often yeah. I Consistency see... Consistency, no matter. Yeah, and when mm. I see the best reaction of my kids when they're pushing my boundaries is when I'm calm and I maintain my line and I don't waver. But when I snap and I react or I say something or do something that I know is going to hurt them and I know is going to basically, you know, create that wrongful fear, um, often what happens is, you know, it it comes back to bite you because, um, you know, like you said, they feel... Injustices happen to them, and they'll keep fighting back. Yeah. But if you stay, remain calm, and hold a, a steady line, mm-hmm. often you just wear down their, their their resiliency. And one one tip for parents out there that are listening to this: what I found that's really helpful is a child's worst behaviour comes right before the breakthrough. Right when they're pushing you to your limits and they're yeah. really behaving badly, yeah. they'll peak. They'll get to the real crescendo, and, then and that's when the they're about to change. Right, yeah. that's yeah. when they're about to Good suddenly point. change. Yeah. Yeah. So Good often point. that's when we feel like breaking oh. and we feel mm. like heading mm. down the bad pathway and doing sure. things the wrong way. Yeah. Um, but when you're getting to that real point where their behaviour is getting to the worst point, is often when you're about to make a breakthrough. The Bible yeah. gives good counsel, and that says soft answer turns away wrath. Yes, Proverbs 15, verse yes. 1. Nick? And I just want to add that it's interesting when you say, do it because I said, they will. They can come back and say, I don't care what you said or something like that. But if you use, you know, the Bible and bringing God into mm-hmm. the picture and say, no, yep. is that right what you're doing? What, what do you think about God will think about this and that? Then they have, it's, a, it's another, you put, very psychologically you put in front of them to make a decision about themselves to not necessarily that they disrespect you or respect you but they have to think oh would god accept this behavior Mm -hmm. and it's much easier i believe to deal with that than to step up yourself and say i'm the parent i'm the boss uh, do what i say Mm -hmm. yeah lynn when i think about how god 
has dealt with mankind. I think of what Moses said to the people of Israel just before he died and before the leadership was transferred to Joshua. I think of what Joshua said to the people. And basically what he said, look, I put to before to you two propositions. Number one, obey and serve the Lord and all will be well, you'll be blessed. If you choose to disobey, you can't expect that. You can expect curses mm-hmm. and hardship. <clears throat> and I think this is very important with children and particularly with fathers who are normally considered the head of the home, although that's changing a bit these days, that the, the father needs to put forward the, the propositions. If you do this, this will be the consequence. If you do that, there will be another consequence. Now you choose. That's actually throwing the power of choice to the children, and we hope that they will make the right choice because they don't want the wrong consequence. Mm. Look, there's another aspect that we haven't even touched on, and I know time is going, but I would like us to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and I want, Helen, for you to read verses uh, 7, 8 and 9 for us, please, of the book of Hebrews. The discipline we've talked about thus far to in our discussion has been discipline generally as it relates to parents and children. But what about the discipline that God, um, I was going to use the word imposes, I don't like the word imposes, but the discipline that God brings about in our lives, because this is what Paul is referring to in the book of Hebrews. Thank you, Helen. If you could share those texts with us. So it's Hebrews 12. Verses 7, 8 and 9. Thank you, 7, 8 and 9. Can I also include verse 6? You may. That one. Because I thought that that kind of answers a lot of things here. Thank you again from the New Living Translation. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, Remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? And I, I just take from that that God loves his children, so he chastens them. Mm. You know, years ago when I, was, <laughs> when I was at school, I was a very, and I know you guys are going to disagree with this, but I was a very shy child, very shy. We'll take and, your word for and it. And I had a teacher who would walk in, and she knew how shy I was. I didn't want to stand up in front of the class or anything. Hard <clears> to imagine now, I know. And I was also quiet, hard to imagine. But anyway, she would walk into the class, and she would pick on me, literally. And, for example, I was born in Scotland, and when I first came out, I had quite an accent. And she would write a sentence on, on the board as an English teacher, and she'd say, Helen, stand up and say that. And, for example, the snail fell in the pail. And she'd say, Helen, stand up and say it. And, of course, me being a wee Scottish lass, I'd get up there quietly and say, the snail fell in the pail. And she would turn to the class and say, that's good English, that's how you should talk. That was one form of picking on me, which was quite wrong because I got bullied. 
But anyway, one day I, my Scottish blood boiled over. And uh, when it boils, guys, you don't want to be around. And it did boil over. And the shyness went and I stood up and she came in one day and she did it consistently. Day after day she picked on me. And I said to her, every time you come in this class you do nothing but pick on me. You don't pick on... And I really ranted. And then I suddenly realised what I'd done and I sat down very meekly her comment to me was and it stuck with me all my life she said the day I stop picking on you is the day I am no longer interested in your welfare wow now if that doesn't hit home I don't know what does I've thought of that many times I've said it to my own mm -hmm. children mm -hmm. you know when they've thrown things like that at me and I said I care about you and then the, if I no longer pick on you mm. I'm not interested in mm -hmm. you anymore what do you want Mm. You know, and I see God saying to us, you know, I'm not really picking on you, but I'm disciplining you because I love you. Mm. And the day I stop yeah. is because you have walked away mm. and you no longer want me. Yeah. Helen, mm. there's a very important point here, I think, though, that um, the love aspect is, is very strong as it's revealed in these texts here. But what God is saying here or what Paul is saying is that God disciplines us because we are legitimate children. Absolutely. We are his sons and daughters. Yep. Good point. Mm. Um, if you were illegitimate, why waste the trouble? Why waste the effort? It's because God wants us as part of his church family. Yes. He wants us as part of his heavenly family. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, um, I believe, a very important aspect of the discipline. He yes. disciplines us because he can then proudly before the universe say these are my sons and daughters they've been disciplined they've stood the test here they are so helen um when did this realization come to you that your teacher although she said she used the word pick picking on she was replying to what i had said did it come to you during a brobrich munich night laddie all right um in uh, studying this subject further, Solomon, and he probably did know what he was talking about, I want someone to turn to Proverbs 21 verse 9. Matt made a, shall we say, rather a wry observation earlier on. Um, we need to remember one thing about Solomon. Solomon uh, was described and is described in the Bible as the wisest man who ever lived. Mm. Now, here is a man who has 700 wives, if you have a look at First Kings and have a look at Chronicles, you'll find that these wives of his were not nobodies. It says they're all wives of royal birth. Now, Solomon, can you imagine <laughs> trying to mediate between 700 women? What he has to say in, in uh, chapter 21 of Proverbs in verse 9 <laughs> is a rather interesting comment. Len's got his hand going up and down. <laughs> yes, I... I wanted to comment on this. You says, may, Len, you may. <laughs> better to live on a corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Now, I read this text in a revised, I mean, the New King James Version. Yes. And it says they're not quarrelsome but contentious. Yes, yes, it does. And I said to my wife, what do you think the root of the word contentious is? And she thought about it, and she said, "Content." Well, I said, "No, it's just the just opposite the opposite to that. The word contentious means sort of always 
trying to push one way or the other. I can think of some women I know who are contentious. I wouldn't like to live with them. I'd prefer to live on the corner of a roof than to live in the house with such a person. But it applies the other way too. Helen's got her hand up, but yeah. before she gets to that, I'm going to get someone to read verse 19. Matt, can you read verse 19 of chapter 21 for us, please? Oh, verse 19. Mm. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was just no, looking no, at the... Uh, I was looking, like Len was saying, the uh, the root word of, of uh, contentious. Of contentious. <laughs> so verse 19. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. I, let me butt in and say, these are the sort of verses that I think if you shared them on Twitter, you might get in more trouble than Israel Falau, but anyway. <laughs> you, you probably will, but uh, we are brave people here. But Helen is certainly going to give a female perspective. Uh, no, Thank you, actually, Helen. actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm agreeing. And I'm looking, You're agreeing. I'm actually looking at Proverbs 27 and what does that 15 one say, and Helen? 16. Yeah, okay. And look, we could put, men in here as well yes, you know, yes. Oh, look. it says a quarrelsome wife we could say a quarrelsome husband mm-hmm. but it says a quarrelsome wife is as annoying as constant dripping on a rainy day stopping her complaints is like trying to stop the wind or trying to hold something with greased hands mm. you know it's it's like a nagging stream of unwanted advice you know mm. it just goes on and on and on and you can picture a tap dripping what happens if a tap continues to drip it's like a form of torture isn't it mm, yeah. and i guess that's why solomon says you know well uh, we we're better on the rooftop or in an attic mm. than putting up with this you mm. know it, it's a destructive habit right. and and people need to stop doing it to stop nagging and what have you the interesting thing is that you know it says that it's like trying to stop the wind or hold something with greased hands and and i was thinking of um my late husband he had an anger problem which he didn't admit for a long time but he had an anger problem and i didn't i couldn't i couldn't seem to get away to to stop the anger i tried joking i tried laughing i tried praying i i, I tried pleading i tried communicating nothing seemed to work and it it was like trying to hold something with greased <laughs> hands mm-hmm. if you like yes. the interesting thing was that it got to the stage where it was constant and finally i thought right i'm going to do the same thing and so this particular day i um and sometimes these words got a little bit you know hard to um, put up with and one day i just repeated his actions i actually gave him a mirror an example of what he was like, you know, and I threw things around the place. I had to pick him up later. He never did, but, you know, and, and what have you. And he just stopped, and he looked at me shocked. And his answer to me, it actually stopped him. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, he said, there's only one person in this house that acts like this, and that's not you. And he walked away. And I thought, well, let's stop that anger. Mm. You've just got for the, that moment, he message. saw a mirror image, mm. you mm. know, and of how what? annoying it was. Yeah. And mm. I think if you're the sort of person that gives way to anger or mm. quarrels all the time, you're not mm-hmm. communicating on a good yeah. basis. Good point. You need to stop. You need mm-hmm. to ask God for help. Yeah. That you can. C- communication is the name of the game, I believe. Mm. And you mentioned that at the start, I did. Uh, Brenton. I and did. I think that is a very key factor mm-hmm. communicating in a form of love. Try to understand where the other person is coming yeah. from. Can I switch yeah. it around just for a yes. minute before Len has a further comment? Mm-hmm. Uh, as I read these texts, I started to chuckle because most men do when we read these particular texts. But I then had a look at it or tried to, being a mere male, I tried to look at it from a woman's perspective. Do you know one of the greatest uh, things that annoys women about men? 
It's when women are talking to them and the man wants to give them advice and they just want them to listen. Thank you, Helen. That's <laughs> one. But another one is that women really um, get annoyed about or, shall we say, frustrated about in a marriage relationship is they do not hear their husbands say, I love you. Mm. Mm. There was a story told of this young couple who went to um, eat with another family. Obviously, the guy was a marriage counsellor by the sound of it, and they suspected that there was something wrong. And um, they started with the usual banter that you do when you're at a meal table. How are things with you? And the wife piped up and she said, um, I don't quote her exact words, but she said, um, things are not good. And he said, um, why is that? She said, he never tells me he loves me. And his answer was a classic. It should be recorded somewhere. He says, I do tell you I love you. I tell you twice every year. Ah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. well, I want to come back to the root word of contentious. Are you being contentious? It's not content, it's contend. Yes, that's the word. Correct. Contend mm. means to strive, strive with. with or strive against. Mm. Yes. Or so, be opposed to. So mm. um, I, know, I know you know what we're talking about, and it's not just with women, it's with men. Some men just will not be pleased. Mm. Some women will just not be pleased. But when we treat each other with fairness and justice and love... And respect. Uh, and respect. Mm -hmm. It's a different matter. Mm. Yeah. It's a joy to be married, and I can tell you for I over agree. half a century... I agree. I've enjoyed marriage. Helen, just a quick comment before yeah, we I was just on. going to say, I agree with you. And it is a joy to be married. I'm not against marriage in any way, shape or form. I'd just like to mention, it's all very well to say, I love you to somebody... But if your actions don't follow through, mm. that means nothing. That means nothing. And at the same token, even though your actions might show you love, a woman still loves to hear the words. Mm. Yeah. Well, I try and say it to my yes. wife every morning. She knows that I haven't yes. been faithful to that every morning. Yeah. Yeah. I do try. But what you say, it's interesting the way <coughs> your, your brain works. The more you say something, the more effect it has on the person yes. that hears it yeah, and the more effect correct. it has on you too. Mm -hmm. But I was just going to say really quickly, there was an interesting article that came out recently talking about the effect of negativity on the brain and people who are constantly complaining. Every time you complain and, and the more you do it, the more you repeat a behaviour, the more it becomes entrenched. Mm -hmm. And, okay. it, and the, the interesting thing is that when you complain, it actually releases cortisol in your brain, which is the fight or flight um, kind of yes. um, reaction and they found links between people who complain to people who have increased anxiety and depression as well and it, it's basically it's a disease, it raises your blood pressure, it raises mm -hmm. your blood sugars it's bad for your health mm -hmm. so the more you complain about stuff the worse mm -hmm. it is for your health mm -hmm. and, and so really I mean what you could say that modern science is backing up what yes. Solomon had yeah. to say mm -hmm. yeah. Nick, quickly? Just very quickly, I want to say that uh, in, um, you know, these proverbs we are quoting from, uh, Solomon particularly, he was wrongly yoked with so many women. True. And they, uh, even the Bible says that they turned his heart away from God. And uh, no wonder that he wrote some of these words uh, reflecting on his life and experience. And again, it's very important how to choose a partner again. Yeah. And um, 
another thing is when uh, the nagging and that, like other translation puts it you know a, a woman can be so is because it's a defense mechanism also for uh, for many uh, because they feel vulnerable they feel you know and they they want to express in you know their feelings their frustration in different ways they may not be like a man to physically control things but they will do it with the mouth you know <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. Mm. we can yeah. go on and on on this yeah. but i sure. believe uh, that that's some of the cases when Solomon yeah. understood the reality. What we're going to summarise with today, um, listeners, is Proverbs 31. Now, Proverbs 31 is an interesting one. Every time I read it, um, for some strange reason, a certain woman bobs into my mind. Some of you may remember there was a TV show on a number of years ago called Wonder Wo Woman, starring Linda Carter, uh, because the, shall we say, the characteristics are described of this particular virtuous woman and the term virtuous incidentally means strong it means a firm a, a person of good character and of good uh, stature it's interesting the hebrew acrostic in chapter 10 through to the rest of it all the 22 vowels of the hebrew l language are found in these particular verses um, but what, just in closing, what, what are some of the virtues of this woman that King Lemuel is talking about? And there's obviously dispute as to who King Lemuel was. Some believe he was Solomon, some believe he wasn't. Uh, just Solomon by another name. But what the virtues of this woman are numerous. Helen, could you name just a couple quickly for us? Yeah. We just, haven't got time to read all these 20 odd verses. Just, just let me say that Proverbs 31 is divided into three parts. It and is. She talks yeah. about her value, yeah. um, it talks about her activity and it mm -hmm. talks about the praise that also brings blessings to her family and yes. to others. Mm. Um, some of the, the varied skills she had, she was, uh, well I, I actually wrote down trustworthy, hard worker, businesswoman, virtuous, uh, she searched out for material for making clothing. She was productive, uh, self-denying, uh, and, and I could go on and on. And in actual fact, the first time I ever read this chapter and that part uh, from, from verse 10, I thought, this is a perfect woman. There is no one <laughs> that fits this. But it is an Hell ideal. And I wondered the same thing. It is an ideal. <laughs> and I think for women, mm. it's, it's an ideal that we should be under the grace of God um, hoping to attain, mm. Mm. Really. Helen, and I think the key thing is put self yeah. aside. Seeing you uh, mentioning that, Helen, can you read verse 26 for me, please? Because uh, mm -hmm. as I went through all the things she did, I found verse 26 particularly <coughs> significant. I, I like the verse before it says she laughs so without you can, fear. You can read that too um, if you want. That's <laughs> fine. She laughs without fear of the future, and I think that's a very good point. But when she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instruction with kindness. Now, it, yeah. it's rather interesting that when you go to the New Testament, um, you find that Paul frequently talks in a couple of his epistles about people who are busy, bozied, busy bodies, uh, meddling in other people's business and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. The woman described here, yes, is so active, she hasn't got time for busy, busy business. Yes. And I think that's a good way to summarise it. When we are active, when we are working for the Lord, when we are sharing our faith with others, we do not have time to dwell on other people's faults and failures. No, the devil works with that. idle hands and idle yeah, mouths. Sure. Yeah. Len. This will be a very quick comment. Right at the end of the chapter, in verse 30, it says, A woman who fears the Lord, obviously this woman that um, King Lemuel was writing about, 
is this type of woman. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Mm. Mm. And I think this is one of the main characteristics uh, that's listed here. She's industrious and all that, caring for the family, but she fears the Lord. Yes. Yeah. And, with, place and, to finish and wisdom comes from the Lord. You know, many people are trying to find wisdom in all sorts of literature and stuff mm. in this world, mm. but actually we invited everyone to consider to find wisdom in the Word of God. Time is up, and thank you very much, everyone, for uh, participating to this uh, Bible study. I encourage our listeners to look in the book of Proverbs. I have a habit myself to read it every day, a chapter. It's 31 chapters there, and every day you can read one, and also uh, some other passages in the Bible. But before we leave you today, I would just like uh, to ask uh, Pastor uh, Matt to pray with us. No worries. Let's, Let's pray. Dear God, we want to thank you for the wisdom that we've been able to learn from uh, through looking at a a summary of this amazing book. And I just pray that there's something that we've picked up today that we can apply to our lives that will bless us, uh, help us to know you more, and help us to be a blessing to other people as well. And we pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Amen.